0: Dr. Amalia Gonyas Malka, welcome to Womanity Woman in Unity, the show that celebrates prominent and ordinary African women's milestone achievements in their struggles for liberation, self emancipation, human rights, democracy, racism, socio economic class division, and gender based violence. Joining us on the line today is South Africa's Minister of Forestry and Fisheries and Environmental Affairs, Barbara Creasy. She previously served in the provincial legislature, joining in 1994, in various portfolios, being MEC for Sports, Recreation, Arts and Culture, MEC for Education and MEC for Finance. Welcome to the show, Minister.
1: Good morning and uh, thank you very much for inviting me.
0: Minister, to begin with, the department's vision is for a prosperous and equitable society living in harmony with our natural resources. You have got various branches that deal with ocean and coast, climate change, biodiversity, conservation, chemicals, waste management, forestry
1: management, and fisheries management. It's an enormous portfolio. It's huge. Uh, but very exciting because I think it's on the cutting edge of many of the major issues of our time uh, The issue of, of sustainability, of climate change, of biodiversity loss. So it's, uh, it's enormously interesting and exciting.
0: And as I was reading through the different branches, It struck me that we almost take these elements for granted as as a human race, that all of these things are taken care of, that we're just going to have a wonderful climate, but
1: real effort has to be taken in order to make it
0: sustainable.
1: Well, I suppose that what we're all confronting across the world is that unless we change the way in which we live and work and exploit the natural resource base that we have been given on this wonderful planet of ours. Um, Human life as we know it today is not sustainable. And uh, I suppose that on the one hand, um, many people, uh, including myself, when one first came to understand um, what lies ahead of us in terms of the impacts of climate change and what can happen if we don't deal with biodiversity loss. It's a, it's a gloomy picture and a very scary picture. And I think that, that from the perspective of many scientists, the current pandemic that we are experiencing, is a, it's a zoonotic disease, which means it's a disease that has jumped from animals to human beings. And there would be many people who would argue that it has happened because our relationship with the, the animal world is not an appropriate or, or sustainable one. So, so yes, on the one hand, I think that, that um, there can be a temptation when you come to understand these issues that, that you're filled with doom and gloom. But I think that there, there are also, as I say, enormous opportunities here particularly in the current situation that we're in, because across the world, and our own country and our own continent are included in this, there's there's a recognition that as we reconstruct and recover from the pandemic, we have to deal with some of the abiding constraints that exist in our society, and we have to deal with some of the ways in which we are exploiting resources that are not sustainable. And I think that when you're at a moment of reset, it's also a a moment of, of hope and a moment of opportunity.
0: Given that context that you've just outlined for us, can you tell us about some of the more significant programs in the department?
1: Well, this year, there are two very important events happening in the world. So the first uh, is the the, um, Climate Conference that will be taking place in Glasgow in November. And this year is the first year when the Paris Accord has come fully into effect. Uh, This is an international agreement where all countries agree to contribute to mitigating and um, overcoming the impacts of climate change, um, adapting to them as they're affecting their countries and raising the means of implementation to do this. It's also the year of the biodiversity COP which is due to take place in Kuming in China in mid year. And this is the the year in which uh, we need to be looking at how we prevent mass extinction of species, how we ensure that there is greater equity in the way in which communities benefit from biodiversity, and also how we ensure that there is recognition for indigenous knowledge systems that are dependent on biodiversity and which are currently earning big bucks for uh, large pharmaceutical companies, the beauty industry, and so on. So these, these, I think, are, are two very important events this year. And these two events uh, are shaping the priorities of the department. And they are also obviously shaping the, the priorities of our continent and our world when it comes to environmental issues. And you would understand that if you are dealing with an issue such as biodiversity or climate change, it will impact on all areas of our branch. The way we manage waste can contribute to biodiversity loss, it can contribute to climate change, or it can help us to reverse it. The way in which we manage our oceans will depend on whether we have food security in the future and uh, will also depend on the extent to which we are enabling the, the oceans to play, to play a very important role in mitigating climate change so these things are all linked and that's why i think these are the two big events that will that are happening this year and are shaping our priorities with the
0: interlinkages clearly climate issues are not bound to one particular geography what we do in our environment what another country does in their environment have all got a compounding effect so with that view how does the rest of the continent feature in terms of the plans that you've undertaken, and are there any key projects that you can share with us?
1: I have the privilege at the moment um, of being the the president of uh, a continental forum called the African Ministers uh, of the Environment, AMSEN. Um, And last year we met and we discussed the impact of the pandemic on our countries And we discussed this very important issue that I was talking about earlier as to how do we use the recovery process from the pandemic to reset um, our approaches to to both economy and to society. And in this context, we developed something called the African Green Stimulus uh, Recovery Program that identifies 12 different areas where African countries can work to put their economies and their societies on a more sustainable development path. And I think that um, this is uh, an important issue that we will be uh, taking shortly to Cahosk. Cahosk is the, um, the, the body that falls under the African Union that is responsible for coordinating climate change and other environmental issues. Um, so, we do, we do want the African Union to be recognizing this document and to be helping us to implement it in all aspects of economic and social recovery from the pandemic.
0: Minister, from a departmental point of view, because our program is obviously a strong focus on women. Can you tell us if there are any core programs or initiatives that uh, relate to, to Women in the Portfolio?
1: Well, obviously, um, first of all, our department, uh, through its different branches and entities, is the largest employer of scientists in the country. And um, we have a program that does outreach in schools. It It, it starts with enhancing um, scientific education in the life sciences in particular in schools. Um, It it has an enrichment component so we would be encouraging children to visit our protected areas, our national parks, our biological gardens. But uh, ultimately it's also a program that offers bursaries and scholarships to young people who would be going to university and of course we have a policy that half of those scholarships must go to young women. Uh, You would understand that sciences are are often not an area that women choose um, first and foremost to study. So that is why these these outreach programs and enrichment programs are very important because we want to encourage uh, girls and young women to, to consider sciences as a, a choice of, of study and ultimately as a choice of career. And of course, from um, these bursaries, we would then be offering uh, placements in the department so that young people can get that work experience. And once again, there would be a, an extra effort would go into making sure that uh, from the graduates, half of those who come into those internship programs are women. Um, of course, uh, one of the things that, that I have come to understand since being in this department is that we are working in rural areas in our country where there are often um, no other government facilities other than um, our own facilities and perhaps those of rural development and agriculture. We have a very, very large uh, public employment program. Um, on average, we are employing between 30 and 50,000 people a year in, the, in those um, public employment opportunities. And um, our primary target there are women and young people. Um, so I think that, that um, women benefit twice, uh, firstly, As as young people, and secondly, uh, as women, and obviously these programs are involve are involve uh, restoration of ecosystem services, so restoration of wetlands, estuaries, beaches, dunes, um, but also involve removal of alien species. Um, So we 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 have a very big program uh, working for water. And another program working for fire, where we where we are doing preventive maintenance in our forest estates to to build fire breaks and so on. And um, what we find is that women um, are very grateful for this opportunity to put food on the table. We've recently introduced um, enrichment in these programs. So one of the things that we are we we we've done a whole lot of. Um, public education around COVID. Um, But more recently, we have been doing work around the whole question of gender-based violence, because many of these women would be in very vulnerable settings because they have no alternative livelihoods, and they have very often no alternatives to where they are currently living. Um, So so clearly, they, they would be Um, in situations where they would be facing abuse. And um, we want to raise awareness that um, they don't have to suffer in silence, that um, they can report this abuse, they can do something about it. So I think that this is important work we're doing with uh, groups of people who might otherwise not have access to this kind of of, um, education and understanding.
0: Thank you very much for giving us the overview of the department in the space of, of the conversation, as well as the efforts underway to get that throughput of scientists, uh, young people coming into the department, and the, the output on employment. Hi, I'm Zonke Digana, a South African Afro-Soul musician,
1: songwriter, and producer. You are listening to Womanity, Women in Unity on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance.
0: Today, we're talking to Minister Barbara Creasy, who is South Africa's Minister of Forestry and Fisheries, as well as Environmental Affairs. Turning towards, uh, let's say, your, your previous life, when you were serving as MECs in the Kauteng Legislature, You'd won several awards for programs that you had initiated, be it, for example, in the Department of Education for a turnaround strategy which improved matric performance in 400 underperforming township schools, which received the first prize award from the United Nations with respect to improving delivery of public services. When you served as MEC of Finance, the Provincial Treasury implemented the open tender system And through this, as well as other initiatives, the Treasury, in turn, was recognized as pioneers in financial management in the public sector, winning Bartle peller Awards, as well as the Premier's Service Excellence Awards. Could you tell us a little bit about um, one or two of these programs behind the awards?
1: Well, I think that my... um favorite program remains the work that we did in the Gauteng Department of Education, the the Matric Improvement Program. And uh, when I when I became um, MEC for Education, uh, the Soweto area in particular, but in fact all all schools in the major urban concentrations uh, in Gauteng, African communities, were severely underperforming. And I think at at that time, uh, the pass rate in many of those schools wasn't even 50%, and there was a very, very high dropout rate. Now, uh, if, if, if in our country, you don't get something as basic as a metric certificate, it really means that because of our high rates of poverty and inequality and unemployment, you actually have absolutely no chance of further education and training, and also very, very limited, if no chance um, of employment. And I think that, that because we recognize the importance of that piece of paper, and we recognize the importance of making sure that young people stayed in school and wrote the matric uh, exam, we developed this program to enhance their ability to participate in those exams. Um, There were were camps and extra classes on weekends and and after-school hours. But there was also other forms of social support, um, programs that we introduced to combat gangsterism, programs to combat bullying, um, as well as, you know, the very simple program that I I think has has also won much acclaim, this this program of introducing um, free sanitary towels for girls in schools. Because one of the things we know is that this is a major reason why young women miss school, and it's a major reason that contributes to dropout. I think we we also had programs... um, I, was, I wasn't very popular with some of my officials because I absolutely insisted. You know, the law allows young women who are pregnant to continue with their schooling. And it also allows them to return to school um, once they, they have completed their schooling. And I felt that that was very important because um, once young women fall out of the schooling system as a result of premature motherhood, they are very unlikely ever to resume their education, and that means that forever, um, you know, they they are they are at the bottom of the heap. So uh, this was a, a program that that I remain passionate about, and I know that um, Gauteng has continued to improve their metric results. And I think it was wonderful news to see that that five of the Gauteng departments were the, r- remain the top performing um, uh, areas in the country. Um, so, so I think that, yes, uh, that's, that's just one program that uh, I can share with you. And I think it relates to the issue that, that we were speaking about earlier, which is how do you give girls and young women a better chance in life? It sounds
0: like a, a fantastically rewarding program, and it's, it's wonderful to see that it has continued with its actions. And this speaks to me on, on everything that you've saying. You've got an extraordinary empathy in terms of, of doing things and doing things for public good and public service. And in saying that, you've served your country since before the dawn of our democracy can you share a few moments that have been memorable in your career thus far and when you understood that politics would be a significant part of your life?
1: You know, I I had the privilege of, of growing up in a family where my parents were politically aware people. And... Um, my, my father died when I was a young child. I was, I was only eight years old, but my mother was, um, I mean, I think first of all, my mother was, a, for me, a role player of somebody who there was nothing she couldn't do. She earned money, she worked, she looked after the family, um, and, and I think that she, she really set that, that example for me as, as a very young child that women can do anything. Um, but she was also um, a very politically aware person, and she brought us up to believe that apartheid was wrong. Um, I was very aware as a child that we had different political views as a family from other people that I went to school with and, and other families that we knew, um, and it was, it was always um, a distinguishing feature. Um, from my mother that we don't believe that this is right and we repose to it. And I think that, you know, from a very early age, I can remember, um, I mean, I grew up in the 1960s when uh, there were forced removals, there were terrible pass raids, and I can remember those things as a child and I can remember a very, very strong feeling that this was wrong. And as I grew up and I, I went to Witts University, my first year at university was 1976. And um, Witts students protested against the, the uh, killing of Hector Peterson on the 16th of June, 1976. And as they say, um, the rest is, is history. That was how I became actively involved in anti-apartheid politics as a young person. Um, I suppose one memory that, that really stays in my mind was after a decision had been taken um, by the, the de Klerk regime to, to unban the ANC, um, and a decision was taken to release Nelson Mandela. I can remember it was, it was the Sunday morning um, when Nelson Mandela was due to be released from, from Polesmoor Prison, and I can remember being woken up very early in the morning, I lived in a, in a flat in, in Berea at that stage, by young people spontaneously running up and down the street at six o'clock in the morning screaming, he's free, he's free. And um, it remains just this incredibly evocative memory of the incredible symbolism that um, the father of our democracy, the grandfather of our democracy, um, has for all of us. And the, the, this, this spontaneous joy of those days after he was released. And, you know, when you, when you go through the times that we're going through now, very, very hard times, times when um, there is no, a lot of people feel that, there is, that there's very little hope. Uh, people are grieving loss. Um, we are confronted daily by um, commissions of inquiry that talk about things that have gone terribly wrong in our government. For me, it's very important to hold on to those moments of hope and those memories of what this is all about. Because while one one does not want to deny what has gone wrong, I think that the, the fundamental values and the fundamental struggle to build a better South Africa, a more equal South Africa, a South Africa where the color of your skin and the place where you're born does not determine what you can become in your life. I think that those those values remain valid and we must hold on to those values and we must continue to struggle for those values. Because if we don't, then I think that that life has the runs the danger of becoming meaningless.
0: That's such an important message, Minister Creasy. Hi, this is Lira, South African Afro-Soul singer and songwriter. You're listening to Womanity, Women in Unity, presented by Dr. Amelia Malka on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, a program that celebrates prominent and ordinary African women's milestone achievements in their struggle for liberation, self-emancipation, human rights and democracy. Today, we're talking to Minister Barbara Creasy, who is South Africa's Minister of Forestry and Fisheries, as well as Environmental Affairs. Minister, turning towards more of a personal perspective and a gender focus, our show is all about celebrating a woman. And the 8th of March is a point where women around the world celebrate International Women's Day. The theme of this year is very pertinent, women in leadership, achieving an equal future in a COVID-19 world. Given your perspective as a female leader, what areas do you think we need to build on the most to help benefit women in the future?
1: Well, obviously, um, health and education remain very important priorities in our society. Education because it's the one thing nobody can ever take away from you. Um, It is is yours uh, forever. Um, And health because I think we understand that women um, always carry the burden of, of raising families, of supporting families both physically and emotionally, and we understand that, that in the time of a pandemic, those roles become intensified. So when children can't go to school, women have to step into that space. When family members are sick, it's women who, who will have to do the caring. When incomes are lost, it's women who must stretch the food. Um, and keep everybody going under very, very difficult circumstances. And I think that um, on International Women's Day, we, we have to salute the tenacity of women in our country who are, and across the globe, who are daily struggling with these realities and under very, very difficult circumstances are managing to keep themselves and their families afloat. Um, And I think that we it's important just to pause for a moment and to celebrate the triumph of those individual human spirits, because it's those individual human spirits that collectively are getting us, all of us, through what we're going through at the moment.
0: And if you had a magic crystal ball and could look in the future, how do you think gender equality will look in South Africa in, say, 10, 20 years'
1: time? Well, I hope that in 10 or 20 years' time, there will be greater gender equality for all women. I think that that what we we have seen in my own lifetime is middle-class women managing to... Uh, achieve a, a level of self-realization and actualization that that I never thought um, would be possible in my own lifetime when, when I was young. But I think that what we recognize is that women who, who are living under conditions of poverty and women who are living in working class communities whether in urban or, or rural areas are still carrying a disproportionate burden and are still prevented by patriarchy in our society from from fully achieving their own aspirations. And I I would like to see a society that becomes more equal um, for all men and women, but also a society where, where women, regardless of their class background, achieve a better ability To to realize their own potential and to achieve their dreams.
0: Minister, a question I'd like to ask you now is about your personal journey and some of your factors of success. Some people have spoken in the past on the show about discipline, focus, faith, and
1: values.
0: In your opinion, what would you say have been some of your key drivers?
1: Yes, I, I would say those things, discipline, focus, uh, faith, values, yes, all, all of those things. Um, I suppose my, my commitment to the anti-apartheid struggle um, and my commitment to building a, a democratic South Africa and a fair and equal South Africa remains the, the primary motivating force for me. Um, and I think that that uh, yes, I mean, I am mean, like all other women who who work and who've had families. It was it, you know, I'm, I'm obviously um, m- my children are grown up now, but I've had those struggles. Um, I've been without sleep. I've got up at three in the clock in the morning to study because I wanted further education um so so all of those those issues of of juggling i think um, are, are issues that all women share and 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 all all women confront um, but I think you know for me what 's what 's really important is to is to keep that focus on why you do what you do and to find a way to re-energize yourself. I spoke to you about the work that, that I did when I was in the Department of Education. And one of the wonderful things about being in the Department of Education is when you feel absolutely exhausted and depressed because things are not working as you would want them to work, you can go to a school and you can talk to young people. And when you do that, you realize why it is that you're doing what you, what you are doing. And I think that that's something I learned in that job and it's something that I continue to do in my current job is to find a way to go to communities, to go to young people, to go to situations where people are struggling with their daily lives and just to talk to them about their experiences and that gives me the emotional energy to go on because it helps me to remember why with, with all the, you know, in my position, you can get caught up in what I call palace politics and it's, it's ugly and it's innovating. But I think what is important is to go back to the people that you are, that you're working for and that you're working with so that you remember why you're doing it.
0: And lastly, as we close out our conversation today in honor of International Women's Day, and let's say, as we like to do in South Africa, create a month on celebrating women, another one, please, can you share a few words of of wisdom to women and girls that are listening to us on the
1: continent? Well, I think that what is really important is first of all to have dreams and to have a deep belief that those dreams that you have are valid and to go out consciously and actively to pursue those dreams that you have. Along the way, you are going to encounter enormous difficulty. And sometimes those dreams will be much further away than on other days. The only advice I can give is never, never, never give up. However hard it is, however dark it is, eventually the dawn will come. Don't give up. Your dreams are valid. Your dreams are special to you. And you have a right to realize them as a human being. Thank you very much for
0: that powerful message. Thank you very much. You have been listening to Womanity, Woman in Unity on Channel Africa, the African Perspective. And we have been talking to South Africa's Minister of Forestry and Fisheries and Environmental Affairs,
1: Barbara Creasy.